Happy New Year. Just the kids this time. Happy New Year. Awesome. I'm so glad. You know, New Year's is a pretty cool time because maybe, just maybe, you could go to bed and wake up the next morning today in an ideal world, one where kids lead worship all the time, one where we get to jump. No, but a world where no one would ever have to struggle for anything. No one would ever have to struggle to survive. Wouldn't that be awesome? There would always be enough for everyone. But we don't live in that world. We live in this one with diapers and wiggles and tears, and that's just for the people that are adults. We live in this world where we do struggle, and we get our most inspiring stories, our most inspiring stories from people who go through struggles. Maybe that's why there's this fascination with the show called Survivor. It's been on TV for 22 years. 22 years. That's as long as I've been married. 43 different seasons, 43 different competitions, and you take this randomly assorted group of people, you put them together, you bring them to the edge where there's nothing left, and then you just kind of see what happens. And from there, we get to see people overcome their struggles, and we get these amazing moments that look something like this. You see normal people hanging on for dear life in a situation that seems impossible. It looks like, against all odds, they would have to succeed. So we can, we can empathize with that. We understand that. And kids, just so you know, there are versions of these games for you. Look at this picture. Now, for today only, I just want to know if all the kids would come up here and everybody would stand on one leg, and you need to hold this position for the entire sermon. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. It's for the adults to come. Okay, so seriously, TV shows us these kind of shows to entertain us with stories of survival, but the Bible, the Bible tells us stories about survival to enlighten us. And on these pages, these pages that we spend our time reading, we find the stories of real-life survivors, people who were brought to the edge, people who were brought to the place where they had nothing left, and yet they were able to come through. Here's what I want to know this morning as we look into God's Word. How did that happen? How were they able to do this? How, how were these people able to hang on when there was nothing left? Well, kids, since you're here with us and we're so glad that you are, I want to put these kind of questions to you. Okay? What would you do if you were trying to survive and someone used up all the water that you needed to drink? What, were you, what would you do if you were trying to survive and someone used up all the food that you were supposed to eat? What would you do? What would your parents do if you were trying to survive and then you got sick and there was no medicine, there's no doctor, no hospital, no one to raise your hand and ask a question because they won't answer it, no one to help you? What would you do if everything got used up until there was nothing left. Well, sooner or later, just like that's empty, you might be in a situation where you find yourself 
with nothing left. No resources, no options, no time, no help, trying in some cases literally to survive. It's precisely at these desperately humble moments that we find that the people in the Bible put their faith in God's word. We need to spend our time listening to their stories. Someone has said that each of their testimonies is ultimately a story about God. Each retelling of their stories is ultimately a story of worship. And that's what we've come to do today. We've come to worship God. I was jumping with you as we were worshiping God. But now as we're going to listen to God's word, we're going to worship him by listening to a story of someone who survived. These testimonies about survival are invitations for us to hope in God. God uses your desperately humble situations. When you have nothing left, he uses these opportunities to ask you to believe in him more than you did before. He asked you to believe in him for more than you ever thought he could give you before. And this is made super clear for us in a story that comes from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 to 24. So if you have a Bible, you can try to find that, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 to 24. This is a story that comes from a place called Zarephath. Now, Zarephath was a hard place. People were going through a hard time. The people were going to meet there, one of them is named Elijah. He was the, well, do you guys know who Elijah is? Famous prophet of God. And then he was with a widow and her son. And they were all trying to survive a moment where they had no food, no water, not enough, not enough resources. They were all trying to survive a drought. And this put pressure on everyone, and God used that pressure, he used all that squeezing, and he produced a gem of a lesson for us today. And that lesson is simply this. When there's nothing left, God's word, it directs us, and his power sustains us while his faithfulness overcomes our fears. When there's nothing left, God's word directs us, his power sustains us, while his faithfulness overcomes our fears. So let me set this story up for you. Elijah, the prophet of God, he had been preaching, giving God's word in his homeland, the promised land, and he was preaching at a time when there was this evil king, Ahab, and his wicked wife, Jezebel. You can go, ooh, boo, right? These are the bad guys. He's preaching a message that angered them because he said, you guys have been doing the wrong things in God's land, and God's going to send a punishment. And for three and a half years, there will be no rain. Well, this king and this prophet, uh, sorry, this king and his wife, they hated Elijah. They hated prophets. They were supposed to worship God, but they didn't. They led everybody to do evil. And this put Elijah and this king into conflict. So Elijah was led by God to go into hiding at a brook called Kareth. And at that brook, God took care of him. He sent him fresh water, and he fed him food delivered by ravens, not by Uber Eats. So this is where we pick up the story. Chapter 17 of 1 Kings, verse 8. Now, this wouldn't be a great family service if we couldn't look at pictures while we read the scriptures. And I found the images straight from this passage. I went to um, Israel's ancient Instagram pages. I didn't, but there will be some pictures, so follow along. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that being Elijah. 
he said to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, this is Jezebel's homeland, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So Elijah arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of that city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and he said, hey, would you please bring me a little water? I've been taking this long journey. I'm thirsty. Would you bring me a little water in a vessel that I might drink? And as she was going to bring it, he called to her again and said, would you also bring me a morsel of bread, a little bit of bread in your hand so I can eat it? Well, this caused a problem for the lady, for the woman. And she said to him, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing left. I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and only a little oil in a jug. And now when you found me, I was just gathering a couple of sticks that I might go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and then die. Well, this is a difficult situation. And Elijah said to her, well, listen, do not fear. Go and do as you have said you want to do, but first make me a little bit of this bread and bring it to me. And afterward, afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Well, now this widow had a choice. She had to decide whether she was going to listen to Elijah or she was going to feed herself and her son. It's a difficult moment. The Bible tells us that she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her whole household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent and neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that was spoken by Elijah. So that's the first part of our story in Zarephath. And I told you, this is an amazing survival story. When it started, we're, and we meet Elijah and this widow and her son, we're not even sure how it's gonna play out for them. It seems that they're doomed. It seems that it's going to become a bad story. Elijah needed food, and God said a widow would be able to feed him, but when he met the widow, it turns out that she had nothing left. She had nothing left to give him except the last meal, the last bit of food that she would have before she and her son died. This is a desperate moment. It must have been really hard for her to decide what to do. And I want to know, kids, what would you have done if this was your choice? What would you have done if you met a stranger and they asked you for your last bit of food? Would you have given it to the stranger? Or would you have given it to your child, to yourself, to feed yourself? What do you want to say? I'd eat it. I would eat it. There's not enough for us either ways, but I'm glad I would come to you instead. I would do that. Well, what would you have done? Do you give your food to a stranger? Or do you give it to the people that you love? Adults, you know that these are the difficult questions to, to work through when there's intense demand for dwindling resources. How much harder when you are a, a single parent with zero options and no income and no food and, and, and now no hope? 
It was as bleak for them as it is for any single mother living today who is starving and trying to feed her, chi- feed her child while, um, while she's working in a severely depressed and expensive economy. It was a difficult situation. Church, as we look at this passage, we need to see that this woman had nothing left. And Elijah had nothing left. But God sent Elijah on a mission to reach her where she was. He brought her something that she didn't yet know she needed. He brought her uh, to look at something that we often overlook until we're at a moment of desperate need. He brought her God's word. He brought her God's promise as it directly related to her in in the moment. And this is what he did with that word. He asked her to trust God with him. He asked her to trust God with him. They both had nothing. And he didn't just ask her, will you trust God? Well, it's easy for me. He says, no, we need to trust God together. This is what it's like for us, church, when we bring the gospel to someone who's about to give up, someone who's in a desperate place, someone who has all their needs forsaken, and we ask them to believe in the gospel. We ask them saying, I know you have nothing left, nothing that you could offer, nothing that could be offered on a human level to help you out. All you have to give now is your own life. So this is what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to give your life to Jesus, just like I have, and I want you to let him take care of you from now on. That's how we bring the gospel to people in need. And this woman, she hears a version of this. She hears the idea that God can sustain her life, and she decides, though she doesn't know how it's going to work out, because often we don't know how it's going to work out, she decides to take God at his word. And we see from the text that God rescues this woman. He rescues the woman, not with bread, not with water, not even with the prophet, but he rescues her with what? The word, a promise. He rescued her with a promise. Our God is able to rescue us with his promises. So this gives us something to hold on to. This gives us something to hold on to right here. When there's nothing left, trust God's word. Kids, as I tell this to you, remember to tell it to your parents. And parents, tell this to your kids over and over and over and over again. Peter told us um, in, the, in his gospel, in his um, letter, people and things wither and fall, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. So we can trust God's word to deliver us through the hardest moments of our lives. And that's why we turn to Jesus, who is the living word of God when when we're in our darkest hours. The gospel never sounds better to us than when it falls on our humble and desperate ears. When you let God's word direct your life, the outcomes can be so much better than you imagined. Because it might be true that you have nothing left But when you ask God to lead you, he gives you more than you expect. What's an amazing story? God is providing. He's helping out, and it keeps getting better. The Bible continues, verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And the Bible says his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And the widow said to Elijah, 
What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Well, Elijah, as he heard this, he must have been heartbroken. This is not what he expected. This is not what he wanted to have happen. It's nothing that he had control over. And for those of us that know how this story plays out, this is a good place for us to be reminded of a truth. That God works good out of the drama out of our lives, not with a microwave solution, not with a push-button solution, but he works it out over time. Kids, we need to understand as we're growing, adults, we need to understand that we're grow- as we're growing, life can and often does get worse for us before we see God make it better. But amen, he does make it better. But at this moment, this woman is desperate. She must be so discouraged. She's literally living on wonder bread. Miracle bread, stuff that God is providing for her. She somehow, through the drought, has water, even though people are not getting enough to drink. And yet her son, while everything seems to be just getting by, her son gets sick, and then he dies. At this moment, at this exact moment, it's just tragedy. It's just bad news. It's just sadness. If we had no God and no hope and no no other words to go for, we could just be disappointed too. She feels helpless once again. And so in this helpless moment, she begins to pour out her deepest fears about God, her deep concerns about what she thinks God could be like because she doesn't know him very well. And so she thinks these things, if you look back in the text, she basically says, God sees me as a guilty sinner. God, I'm afraid that this has happened because God sees me as a guilty sinner. In fact, this is confirming my fear that all God really wants to do with me is punish me for my sin. She's trying to find excuses. She's trying to find reasons to understand why her son has just passed away. And she goes there because she doesn't know God very well. She's blaming Elijah for misleading her faith. She's wondering if God had planned all along for a bad thing to happen. Now, can you empathize with her? How would this mother be feeling? when her child is lying dead in her arms? How would she be feeling after someone from a church came and said, I want you to continue to hope. I know it's going to be okay. She says, well, it doesn't feel okay. It doesn't look okay. Is she afraid that it's going to be all over? Is she wondering if she should blame herself for ever trusting in God, ever ever trusting those church people? Should she trust this prophet? Should she listen to another person that wants to tell her what God wants her to do? All of this comes rushing out of her as fearful questions and assumptions about God that are incorrect, and she has nothing left inside to help her with this moment, with this deep loss. And I wonder, would you? Would you have anything left to offer? But it's at this moment that God asks her, and he asks Elijah because he has nothing to offer to help, He asked them both to trust him and put their faith in him again. So we pick it up again at verse 19. And he said to her, Elijah said to her, give me your son. And he took her son from from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and he laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, oh Lord, my God, you have brought calamity even on this widow with whom I sojourned, this woman who took me into her house, who trusted me, who listened to your word with me, you, you've brought calamity on her. 
by killing her own son? Now Elijah, he has nothing left. All he can do is pray. And so that's what he does. The word says that he stretched himself upon the child three times. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. Kids, what happened after he prayed that? Amen, he did come back to life. Look, it says, oh Lord, let this child's come, life come back into a game. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came back into him again and he revived. It's pretty cool. We take that for, oh yeah, that's cool. We knew that was coming. You didn't know that was coming. If that happened, you'd be like, well, that is the most surprising outcome I ever would have expected. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And as she got to hold her son, she said to Elijah, now, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. The word of God is something I can trust. The word of God through you but the word of God is, is faithful, and I can put my faith in that. That's her testimony. That's her survival story. And I told you, this is one of our most inspiring survival stories that we have in Scripture. Elijah, the widow, and her son, and everyone in her household, they all survived. They all made it through the drought. They all experienced miracles. The supply for making bread never ran out because God said it will never run out. The boy came back to life when Elijah prayed because God answered his prayer and put the boy's life back into him again. These are miraculous events that help us know that God is real and that he cares for people like you and like me. We sometimes need to remember that. We sometimes lose sight of that. But we are known and we are loved, just like we remind you every week, we are loved by God far beyond what we ever imagine, even in our times of deepest need. So, with a good story like this, we want to try to learn all that we can from each character. So I'm wondering, what do we get to learn from Elijah? What do we get to learn from Elijah? Well, Elijah is the prophet who faithfully represented God's word even when he had nothing left. And so when you come across this story again in the Bible, I want you to see that God provided for Elijah wherever God sent him. And Elijah served him wherever he was sent. None of us is a prophet like Elijah, but we are the church if we're Christians, and we're on the same mission that Elijah was on. And we need to represent God's word and his promises to people wherever we go, even when it seems that we have nothing left to offer them. We can still listen to God. We can still bring his word to them. And even if we don't know exactly how it's gonna work out, we can still trust his word and offer prayer and minister in his name to people when they have need. So our first lesson is that from Elijah is when there's nothing left, God's word still directs us. So that's what we get from Elijah. What do we learn from the widow? What can we learn from the widow? When we, when we meet her, the woman is a stranger to anything that we would recognize as the gospel. 
This woman knows far too little about God and she knows far too much about suffering. She knows too little about God and too much about suffering. How many of your friends are in that same situation today? She's learned to fend for her own needs in a world where the institutions of family and religion and government can do nothing for her. So God wants the church to see this woman in her need. He wants the church to move towards people like her. And he wants us to offer his promises, what God says, and he also wants us to offer his care. God wants people like her in, who are in need to trust him with their very lives, to trust him with their most precious things. The most precious thing that the widow had was her son. And God says to her what he says to all of us, I want you to trust me with everything you have, whether it's your child, your household, your life, or for most of us, your future. When there's nothing left, we learn from this story and through this widow's life that God's power, his power, is able to, to sustain us, just like he sustained the life of the widow. And finally, what do we learn from the child? What do we learn from the little ones that are among us? Well, when we see them, we realize that, like all children, this boy in this drought, he's vulnerable. He has, in this situation, no father. He has no protector, no provider. He is powerless against the drought. And he's powerless against the illness that takes his breath away and eventually causes death. It doesn't, it's not a lot of hard work to imagine what he must have felt as, as he watched things unfolding. He would have been afraid. I would be afraid. Would you be afraid? If you see your mom working hard to figure out how to feed you when there's no food left, if you see that people around you are, are getting sick and dying, you'd be afraid. He was afraid of starving to death. He was afraid in that moment when he was realized he's not able to catch his breath and something's wrong. We don't get to hear his voice in this story, but we know that he matters as much as Elijah does. And we feel afraid for him because he helps us see our own vulnerability and our own powerlessness. There are problems in this world that are too hard for children to overcome, right? In some of your houses, there are challenges. They can't get through a door simply because you put a piece of plastic over the knob. It stymies them every time, right? There are challenges in this world that are too hard for moms to overcome. In our house... It's the operating system on our computer. There are problems that are too hard for dads to overcome. Sometimes he can't figure out how to get from here to the destination that you're traveling to on vacation. But really, as I give the humor there, the truth is there are all sorts of situations that cause us to realize we have vulnerabilities and powerlessness. There are problems that are too hard for whole families to overcome. There are problems that are too hard for massive governments to overcome. There are problems that are too hard for a thousand people or, or 10,000 people in a mega church to overcome. We are all just human, and no matter what age we are, we have limits. But suffering children, most of all, show us our vulnerabilities. Their powerlessness is obvious yet we get the most powerful lesson from them and through this child's death and revival to life. 
when there's nothing left, God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness can overcome our fears. In this story, God overcomes the things that we're most afraid of. He overcomes hunger. He overcomes poverty. He overcomes vulnerability, despair, inequity, and the awful tragedy of a world that gives in to idolatry and all the consequences that come from that. Every human enemy is defeated in this story. We saw that our faithful God raises people from the dead. We saw that our faithful God is able to answer the prayers of his people as they pray and ask him for what they believe in. And we see in this story that God loves people who didn't even know him in the first place. If we put all these lessons together, we come up with that gem, the full point to this testimony. When there's nothing left to give, God's word directs us while his power sustains us so that our fears are overcome by his faithfulness. If you want to believe that, I want to make this invitation to you today, young or old, whether you're at home or you're in the room, you may not yet be in a time where you consider it to be desperate or nothing left, or you might be in that moment, but it could be coming for you, and there are all sorts, everything from just a practical kind of situation to real life moments where there's desperation. It could be a moment of physical desperation where you're seriously sick. It could be emotional desperation where you know things aren't doing so well up here or your heart is just breaking. It could be economic desperation or it could just be that you're at the end and just mental desperation. Whatever these things are, let's just for the moment call them Zed moments. Zed to help us remember Zarephath, and Zed, because like the end of the alphabet, A to Z, there's nothing more to come. You're at the end. There's nothing left. And in these moments, our God stands ready to direct you with his word. He stands prepared to sustain you with his power, and he wants to show you his faithfulness to overcome your fears. But what is it that he wants from you? He wants your faith. And I want you to give him your faith. He wants you to trust him, so trust God. If you're not saved, trust in the name of Jesus Christ, the living word of God, the faithful word of God, to be your salvation. If you're walking with God, trust in his word to guide you. When there's nothing left, that's the time of your life to give all the faith that you can offer. Pour it all out on the situation, whatever it is that you have left. Believe in the verses from God's word, whatever it is that you know, make sure that you're applying it to your situation and ask him for those promises. Trust him for these things and see what happens. And as you go to pour out your faith, I want you to understand that God will not waste a drop of your trust. Because as you pour it out, even when you thought you had nothing left, you create a well of hope that helps other people believe. And as you need more faith, you can pray and say, Lord, help me believe. I don't believe. I need more faith. And he will give you more faith. And you can pray, and you can pray, and you can pray, and you can ask God for more faith, and he will give you more faith. And you're able to pour it out even when you think that you have nothing left. Let me pray for you. Father God, 
I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for all the ways in which you remind us that it's good to trust you. Lord, we have this story, but we've had Jesus Christ, your incarnate word. We just spent Christmas season remembering that you fulfilled a promise in this world, in our days. Our calendars are literally changed because you keep your promises to us. And you came to our lives, you came into our desperation, into our desperate situations, and you put yourself into our story to remind us that you keep your promises and we can trust you. We can trust you when we're just little children. We can trust you if we are the people of God doing your work. We can trust you if we're just someone who's never really met you before. If we were living a life that was based on idols, Lord, you can come. We can hear your word and we can apply it. We can trust it. And we can be treated like your family if we trust you. So Lord, I pray people would take us up on the invitation that comes from this church and these pulpits, um, pulpits like ours, where people are invited to trust you, Jesus. I know people in this room today would not have made that choice. They might be desperately clinging on, hoping against hope that there might be some way, well, Jesus, it's you. I pray that they would trust you. And Lord, for a brother or sister that is working through something today, realizing they are coming to an end, they're coming to a moment where they can't hang on any longer. I pray that you would remind them of something you've said, some promise that they could hold on to, and Lord, you would supply faith for them to get through. I don't want to promise an outcome that you don't want to deliver, Lord, but I pray they would know that whatever it is you give them, it will be good. So Lord, help us as a church to hang on to your word. We pray we would be bound to it, that we'd be founded upon it, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.